2: now
4: All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Red Pill News. I hope you're having a lovely day. We've got a couple of interesting stories to discuss. First of all, yes, we are definitely going to be hitting the highlights in day eight of the Michael Sussman trial. We have the primary results from Georgia yesterday. There's some things I've got to say about that. And then we also must discuss the tragic events that took place at an elementary school yesterday in Texas. This appears to be yet another distraction from the very important developments that are happening in our country proving the fraud that was perpetrated upon America by Hillary for America and the DNC. And of course, the Biden administration is going to use this as an opportunity to try to scale back the Second Amendment. So do me a favor, sit back, relax, grab your popcorn, and we're going to be right back after this. Well, it looks like a popular video conferencing app is getting sued in an $85 million settlement after they broke their privacy rights for their users. You see, millions of the users on this platform joined together to file a class action lawsuit after it was learned that this company had sold their users' data to social media companies. And this is why I'm such a huge fan of Virtual Shield. Virtual Shield keeps users anonymous online. When Virtual Shield is running, internet activity is encrypted, and that keeps hackers and data-tracking corporations at bay. Even ISPs can't get around Virtual Shield. This way, you won't hear about your data being sold on the news. But get this, Virtual Shield has a strict no-log policy and zero hidden fees, and it's fast and secure. I personally let Virtual Shield run in the background of my computer all day. Imagine how much safer you'll be online with Virtual Shield 2. If you've been looking for a way to browse the internet anonymously, you're gonna love Virtual Shield. And right now, they're offering 50% off to all my subscribers for life. That's right, 50% off for life, only for my subscribers. If you sign up today, you'll also get a 30-day free trial for the next 24 hours by going to virtualshield.com forward slash redpill78. And remember, when you support my sponsors, you support this channel. All right, guys, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. We're going to be talking about the election in Georgia. First of all, some good news and some bad news. First of all, good news. It looks like Herschel Walker is winning his Senate seat. However, it looks like Brian Kemp is going to win his governorship back. And it looks like Brad Raffensperger, Ratzenberger, is going to be winning his Secretary of State seat back. Now, I don't know how that's possible, considering the fact that Kemp and Raffensperger uh, single-handedly, well, I guess dual-handedly, uh, were responsible for ensuring that, uh, Joe Biden was declared the winner in Georgia. These guys are both wildly unpopular, but for some reason, it appears that they both overwhelmingly won the state. Uh, wasn't even a close call for either of them. They were both ahead from the beginning. And they both won handily uh, very early on. Now, Herschel Walker actually had the race called for him after only 40 minutes. He was also wildly popular. So this stands in stark contrast to one another. Why is it that, again, in these uh, uh down ballot races, do we have overwhelming support for Trump candidates? Uh, but then in the uh, higher level positions, we have support for the deep state candidates. Now, I think the answer lies in uh, what was exposed in 2000 mules ballot harvesting uh, in the same way that they focused on ensuring that Trump lost in a state like Georgia back in 2020. I think they did it again here in 2022. Because what if we get to 2024? And we have to rely on the Secretary of State and the Governor again to decide on whether or not these ballots are going to be accepted, or if uh, they're going to allow for a recount, or or if they're even going to allow people to uh, look at the evidence and decide for themselves whether or not illegal things happen. Because mark my words, illegal things happened in Georgia. I think they are still happening in Georgia. Now, uh, I know that some people are going to see this and they're going to be very discouraged. They're going to say, "Well, what's the point?" I want to let you know. Something that I saw on Truth Social earlier today, somebody from Georgia actually told me that all of their red pilled friends, all of them literally said that they didn't even bother to vote because they didn't think that it was worth it. Well, Gizzo Peets, considering the fact that they only count ballots and each person has one ballot, if you didn't vote, you basically voted for the other candidate, the deep state candidate or even for the Democrats. I better not see this again here in the fall. Uh, but at that point, it's not going to matter. I mean, Brad Raffensberger is going to win. Brian Kemp is going to win. And, uh you know, it, it could be. It could be that something else is going on, but I tend to believe that it's because cheating happened once again. Now, something else that uh, strangely happened uh, with regard to the Raffensburger election here, uh, he really, really outpaced uh, the people below him. Jody Heist was actually who was uh, endorsed by President Trump. Brad Raffensberger got 52.3 percent of the vote, just narrowly. Just narrowly avoiding that runoff election, which could have offered Jody Heiss an opportunity to actually win this time around. And it turns out that there is some evidence to suggest that Democrat voters are actually the ones who pushed Brad Raffensperger over the top. Uh, Because if we take a look at the numbers in terms of these voters and who's actually registered as Democrat or Republican, uh, we find that 7% of early Republican voters were actually Democrats. So that 7 percent margin was very likely enough to push Brad Raffensperger over the top. And this, to me, is representative of a larger problem. I put a video out earlier today, just kind of stream of consciousness, uh, suggesting that if you're not willing to fight until the very last breath, the bitter end, then you are already fighting for the other side. We cannot allow ourselves to just give up uh, when we don't get the full and total win in every single battle. We have some battles that we win and we have some battles that we lose, but we have to fight. Like every single day is our last. We have to put as much effort into winning every single battle as we do every other battle. And if you're not showing up to vote uh, or you are just laying at home and, and, and waiting for somebody else to fix it, uh, then you've already lost and you've already given your vote to the other side. But it looks like Brad Raffensberger pulled off this victory uh, because Democrats went out and voted for him. If those Democrats hadn't voted for Brad Raffensperger, then we would have probably had a recount uh, or we would have had a runoff election, rather. Uh, And then perhaps at that point, Jody Heiss would have won because these other people who voted for these other candidates would have then thrown their weight behind Jody Heiss. I just don't believe that Brad Raffensperger was popular enough to win the election this time around after what he pulled in 2020. Uh, We had a record number of votes in the secretary of state GOP primary. 1.156 million. Uh, and in the Democrat primary, it was like half of that. 614,479. Almost twice as many voters came in for the Republicans as came in for the Democrats. That ought to tell you something. That more people want to vote Republican, but also, That Democrats are willing to do whatever it takes. Doesn't matter if it's dirty tricks. Doesn't matter if it's illegal. Doesn't matter if it means their candidate doesn't even get elected in the primary. They don't care. All they care about is that there's a Democrat in November that they can go ahead and throw their ballot for. If they elect Brad Raffensperger in the primary, then that means that Republicans are going to be frustrated. And it means that there's a high possibility that certain people out there are just not going to even bother to show up and vote in November. You cannot have that attitude. And I'm going to revert to what I said before. You have to fight every single day like it's the last battle you're ever going to have. You have to put all of your effort, all of your energy into it. We cannot trust in our institutions. That was shown in 2020. The only way that this is going to be fixed is by us getting actively involved in the electoral system. We got to be there on election day. We got to run for office ourselves and we got to throw all of our weight, all of our strength behind the people who truly are going to help us fix this we got to do it together it has to be a group effort now vernon jones was also endorsed by president trump he's actually going to have a runoff election in district 10 that's going to be coming up here very shortly but vernon jones was another one of those people who was attacked viciously by certain individuals out there who claim to be part of the truth and freedom movement that person, that group of people that was attacking Vernon Jones also suggested that maybe you shouldn't vote in this election. If any person out there is telling you not to vote, not to take part in our system, then you have to ask yourself, who are they really supporting? Who are they really working for? Because I I can't imagine a single conservative out there who would suggest that you drop out of the system, because once you drop out, your vote now essentially counts for the other side. And if you're not Fighting for America, you are fighting against America. And at that point, you may as well just register as a Democrat. All right, next, just a brief update on what's happening in the Pennsylvania Senate election. Mehmet Oz and Dave McCormick currently have less than a thousand votes between them. So election officials there have officially asked for a recount. Uh, Mehmet Oz is leading 419,452 votes. 418,516 votes, essentially a dead heat. Don't forget, on Monday, Dave McCormick, who is uh, another deep state candidate in my book, filed a lawsuit to demand that election officials uh, continue counting undated ballots that came in after Tuesday. We have deadlines for a reason. People have to mark the date on their ballot for a reason so that we know that it came in before Election Day or on Election Day. If they're able to just keep counting ballots, our election system doesn't amount to much. And in a state like Pennsylvania that is overwhelmingly run by the Democrat criminal machine, obviously, it doesn't amount to much. And the people of Pennsylvania are getting robbed in this election. It remains to be seen who's going to be called the winner in this election, but I have to say it's not looking good for Mehmet Oz, the way that they're handling it. Uh, It sure seems like they're pushing to ensure a Dave McCormick victory. And any time the election officials in Pennsylvania are pushing one candidate over another, it leads me to believe that that candidate is less likely to be on the side of the American people. Now, a recount in Pennsylvania is triggered if you have uh, less than a half a percentage point between the two candidates, and with only 902 votes separating McCormick and Oz, uh, that's only 0.1 percentage point. So, uh, this recount should be finished by June 7th, and then we'll have the results shortly thereafter. But who knows? It's Pennsylvania, they like to take their time. All right. Now, finally, before we move on to the latest in the Michael Sussman trial, I have to give a little bit of airtime to the tragedy of what happened yesterday at the school in Texas. Uh, This man, Salvador Ramos, uh, was the one who apparently shot and killed two adults and I believe 19 children. Uh, And once again, the warning signs were there. He was sharing guns on social media. He was saying that he was going to shoot his grandmother and he was going to shoot up an elementary school. Uh, He did this 30 minutes before the attack. Now, you have to ask yourself, when social media pays such close attention to what people are saying, when they can quite literally monitor you and immediately take down a tweet or a post based upon the content of it, why is it? That they can't track something like this, because you would imagine that if they could tell if you said something like Hunter Biden's laptop included X, Y and Z, why couldn't they be able to tell when this kid says I'm going to shoot an elementary school or I just shot my grandmother in the face? Uh, it's a really sad thing. And what's even more disgusting is that these these incidents seem to happen every single time there is uh, overwhelmingly positive news exposing the deep state actors that have been working to destroy America for years Obviously, right now, the Durham trial is going on, and so now this Texas shooting happens, and of course, the Democrats jump on it, and they attack Republicans, they attack anybody who supports the Second Amendment, and they use it as a call to rush out and take our guns. Of course, if they take guns away from sane people, you're not going to be able to protect yourself from the criminals who don't care about the laws and who will get weapons regardless of whether or not they are actually legally able to own them. Now, there is a couple of weird things about this guy. Uh, he actually had an Instagram account as well as a Facebook account. Take a look at this. He kind of looks to me like it's it's possible he could identify as trans. Uh, immediately after the shooting, they shut down his accounts, uh, so we can't go in and we can't look at them. Uh, but he looks like maybe he's wearing some lip gloss. Uh, he's doing that pouty duck face that girls do, and he obviously has a little bit longer hair. Now, I also want to point to this picture of his guns uh, that he put up. Uh, this is on Instagram as well, and he tags somebody. I don't know who this person is. If that was his handle, if it was somebody else's, we're going to look at that in a second. But take a look at his uh, sight on this rifle.
2: we oh. you
3: FighterFlare.com
4: That's an EOTech site. That's pretty expensive right there. EOTechs are are not cheap. They're very high quality. uh, And you have to ask yourself, you know, how did this 18, 19 year old kid get the money together to purchase all of these weapons and purchase this uh, really nice EOTech site there? Uh, And then here he is uh, posting his uh, magazine, posting his weapons. And of course, social media companies didn't catch it. Once again, why is it that they can catch it so quickly when somebody's posting something about Hillary Clinton destroying America, but then as soon as somebody wants to post a gun and tell everyone exactly what they're gonna do, They can't catch it at all. Uh, We don't know yet whether or not the FBI was already on to this guy. Generally speaking, anytime you have these tragic mass shooting events, uh, the FBI or government have made contact with them in the past. They've been made aware of the type of stuff that they're posting and the danger that they pose to the community. Uh, I'm going to guess that he probably did have contact with the FBI, or at least he was known to them. At this point, uh, it's very early in the game, and uh, we don't know much more. Now, we do have some comments from people that worked with him. Uh, They said that he was the quiet type, which is always uh, what it is, uh, that he didn't say much. He didn't really socialize with other employees. He got paid. He went to work. He came back. He got his check and basically went home. Uh, Another woman that worked with him said uh, that he did have an aggressive streak. Uh, He would be very rude towards the girls sometimes. uh, And one of the cooks threatening them by asking, do you know who I am? Why did he have an overinflated sense of self-importance? Is it that he knew what he was going to be doing on that day? Uh, Somebody else said that at the park, there'd be videos of him trying to fight people with boxing gloves. He'd take them around with him. Uh, and that's basically all we know about Salvador Ramos. Salvador Ramos appeared to be a very disturbed individual. Uh, looks like this user, uh, N. Pupas, the one that he had tagged on that uh, that picture right there, was a total stranger. It was a woman. And she has uh also received a message from him that said, got a little secret. Now, that Instagram user is not somebody who lives in Texas. Uh, and again, Salvador Ramos didn't have any direct connection to her, but she did ask him why he tagged her in those pictures of the guns. He replied, you going to repost my gun pics. And she said, what your gun pics got to do with me. And then he says, just wanted to tag you. Uh, then at 5.43 a.m., he messaged her and said, I'm about to. The girl asked, about to what? And he said, I'll tell you before 11. He said in the message he would text her in an hour and urged her to respond. He said, I got a little secret I want to tell you. He messaged her with a smiley face emoji covering his mouth. Uh, he never told her the secret. His last message was at 9.16 a.m. and he said, I'm to air out. And that's apparently the point at which he shot his grandmother and then went to this Texas elementary school or excuse me, Texas high school, Ulvod High School, uh, and he killed uh, 18 or 19 kids. Absolutely disgusting. Uh, but this cannot be allowed to be used as an excuse to take guns away from sane people. If anything, it means that there needs to be uh, better restrictions in place uh, to ensure that the people that are purchasing guns are purchasing them legally uh, or are not purchasing them to commit acts of of mass terror like this. But even more importantly, I think the government and social media companies who have no problem following the 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 posts of people that they deem to be dissidents, uh, that they should be doing a much better job of ensuring that when people post warnings about what they're going to do, they take action. All right. On to the Michael Sussman trial. Now, I wanted to share with you this truth from Cash Patel, who I am actually interviewing on the 31st. That's going to be here on this channel that day. Tonight, my interview with Dinesh D'Souza has been postponed. He's under the weather. I said, let's just do it next Wednesday. So Cash was actually in the courtroom today watching this live. This was his biggest takeaway. Jaffe is the steal of the Alpha Bank fantasy. Jaffe, an FBI source for years, violated his contract with the FBI as a source by leaking to the media and injecting false info into multiple agents to create circular reporting. Sounds familiar? Just like Steele. Same exact playbook. Government rested on my interrogation of Sussman from 2018. They read the transcript for the jury where he said he was doing it all for a client. Let's take a look at the testimony. All right. So next, we're going to do the uh, latest updates on the Michael Sussman trial. Today is day eight. So I want to give a big shout out once again to real Toria Brooke, Wonder Woman on Truth Social. She is in the courtroom live tweeting, telling us exactly what's happening. Uh, this is going to be the last day for the prosecution to make their case. And I'm just going to summarize some of the, the highest level stuff. Uh, first of all, we begin with the revelation that New Star, which is, of course, the company that Rodney Joffe was an executive at, was being represented by Perkins Coy, beginning an all- August of 2009. They had a long standing relationship. Perkins Coy, of course, is the exact same law firm that represented Hillary for America. And of course, Rodney Joffe was the uh, executive, and Newstar was the firm that was hired to spy on President Trump, candidate Trump, and the executive office of the president so that they could compile all of that data and use it to create what was the bulk of the Alpha Bank hoax. Now, Sussman also just happened to be the lead attorney for Newstar from Perkins Coy. And the first witness for John Durham's team today was a paralegal from the DOJ named Carrie Arsenault. Uh, she's actually on the special counsel team. Now, she is important because Arsenault organizes witness prep folders for the government, and uh, she has entered into evidence a number of exhibits that included telephone records, emails, and billings, all of which uh, were from Perkins Coy, uh, of which Michael Sussman was doing all of the billing. Now we go to July 31st of 2016. On that date, Michael Sussman billed Hillary for America for something he titled general political advice. And that included communications with Mark Elias. They were talking apparently about the DNC servers. Now we jump forward to September 6th of 2021. Hillary for America again gets billed for political advice. There also is included in this exhibit meetings with Mark Elias on revisions to the Alpha Bank white papers and meetings with reporters. No doubt uh, that was designed to seed this Alpha Bank story out into the mainstream media. Now we go to September 14th of 2016. This is just a few days prior to Michael Sussman's meeting with James Baker. In this exhibit, it was work and communications regarding confidential projects, as well as an email from Perkins Coy with the subject, Mark and Michael, Fusion GPS. So no doubt, Mark Elias, Michael Sussman, of course, Fusion GPS. Now, also included in this exhibit were records from AT&T, phone records uh, related to Rodney Jaffe, as well as phone records related to Michael Sussman from Verizon Wireless. Now, this next one is the real kicker. When the Chicago FBI field office received the white papers and the data from that second anonymous source, it was given to them on two Lego flash drives. This is on September 22nd, 2016. We have Michael Sussman filing an expense report with Perkins Coy for the purchase of, get this, flash drives. And you'll never guess who it was billed to. Hillary for America. Remember, that source with the flash drives was apparently secret and it was uh, implied by the FBI that this was a different source than Michael Sussman. But the agents working on that data felt that it was more than likely that the James Baker, Michael Sussman source and this uh, white paper on the flash drives were actually the same source now. There was also a disbursement report from Perkins Coy to Hillary for America with the description, Michael Sussman, purchase of flash drives for secure storing of files. So it's quite obvious that Michael Sussman met with James Baker, handed over the data that way, and then also put the same data on flash drives, and then that got sent to a different area in the FBI. Now, there also happens to be a bill to the Washington Post, as well as phone calls between Rodney Jaffe and David Dagan. David Dagan, again, was the Georgia Tech professor that actually wrote the white papers that Rodney Jaffe's data was based on. Also included in this conversation was Michael Sussman and a Post reporter, as well as some calls between Michael Sussman and another reporter from The New York Times, Eric Lichtbau. We've talked about him in the past. Now, on September 18th, this is when Michael Sussman sent that text message to James Baker asking for the meeting to come in the next day on the 19th, and then the meeting was held, and that was where he told James Baker that he wasn't there on behalf of a client. On September 21st, just a couple of days later, we have more calls between Rodney Jaffe and Michael Sussman, as well as Baker and Sussman as well, probably following up on the data that Sussman dropped off. Then we have some internal emails at Perkins Coy between Michael Sussman and others. Then we have some internal emails from Perkins Coy with Michael Sussman and a few others. They bring in Glenn Simpson at Fusion GPS into the conversation. And then there is an email with Fusion GPS and a reporter from Reuters. Ever forget, Fusion GPS was the ones responsible for the Trump dossier that was again paid for by Hillary Clinton, the DNC and Hillary for America. Then the government introduced records documenting a meeting between Rodney Jaffe, Michael Sussman and the FBI from April 20th of 2015. So this indicates there was perhaps some prior knowledge of FBI agents into our potential ongoing smear campaign against, at that time, candidate Trump. Now, on September 19th, the very day of the Baker-Sussman meeting, Sussman and a man named Lee Nichols emailed back and forth where, in these emails, Sussman details work of written materials billed to Hillary for America for four and a half hours. Of course, the insinuation is this is for the meeting earlier with James Baker and Michael Sussman. Now, at this point, this is where it gets really damaging for the defense. In December 2017... Michael Sussman testified under oath under penalty of perjury, at which time he claimed that he couldn't recall if he had met with FBI agents to discuss the Alpha Bank smear. And then at the same time, in that moment, he actually admitted under oath that his actions were performed on behalf of a client. And at that point, case closed. The prosecution rested. Now, I'm pretty much going to leave it there because from here on out, the defense is basically trying to make a case that there was some legitimacy to the Alpha Bank data. They're also trying to establish that Michael Sussman represented a lot of different people, and probably they're looking to sow some doubt in the minds of the jury that uh, Michael Sussman was delivering that Alpha Bank information on behalf of any one person, any one client. There's also a number of character witnesses that the defense brought up, uh, and by and large, they look to portray Michael Sussman as some type of saint who had overcome a lot of different uh, you know, obstacles and strife in his life to basically rise to the top of his field. Now, we don't know yet whether or not Michael Sussman is planning to take the stand, but I have to say, I don't think it's going to be a really good move for him or for his defense if he does. I think the prosecution is probably going to tear him apart. Uh, but the defense did introduce a motion asking for pretrial negotiations so they can like limit the scope of the questioning from the prosecution in the case if they do decide that they want to put Michael Sussman on the stand. Basically, I think this case is over. I think the prosecution did an excellent job in proving that Michael Sussman definitely was working for Hillary for America when he delivered the Alpha Bank intel to the FBI. I think they've proved the charge that he lied to the FBI and if he is convicted, he faces up to five years in federal prison. And if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I think that he also could face like thirty thousand dollars in fines. So from here on out, it's up to the jury. I don't think that uh, much is going to matter uh, in terms of what the defense is going to bring forward uh, in the rest of their case. They very easily could be resting their portion of the case pretty quickly after all of this. Obviously, if we have more testimony tomorrow, I will bring it to you right here. And then once again, thank you to Wonder Woman on Truth Social. All right, one final story before we go. It looks like Jack Dorsey has announced today on May 25th, 525, that he is leaving the board at Twitter. Uh, he's been accused of backstabbing his own Twitter board by helping Elon Musk as shareholders meet. Now, normally, this would not be something that uh, I think would be all that interesting. But, but I want to show you guys this because in post 525, our favorite Anon said goodbye at Jack, meaning Twitter, Jack, Jack Dorsey. And it just happens to be the 25th of May that he is leaving. Post 525, goodbye, Jack. I think that this is uh, a pretty awesome proof right here. Uh, And uh, since it is a current event, I figured I would show you guys and ask you what you think. All right, my friends, that's all I've got for you today. I want to thank everyone for joining me. I'll be back tomorrow with the latest developments in the Michael Sussman trial and, of course, whatever news breaks during the day. And then tomorrow night at 8 p.m., I will be here for my interview with Dinesh D'Souza, where we'll be discussing 2000 mules, the brand new investigations taking place as a result of the revelations in that movie and so much more. So be here tomorrow night. I'll see you in the chat. Until then, good luck and God bless.